This podcast contains adult language and graphic content. Listener discretion is advised. Hey guys, it's Kayla. It's Katie. And you're listening to Murder, Mayhem, and Merlot. If you are someone who follows true crime, then you probably have a few cases that really just stick with you. There are those cases that keep us up at night, the ones that we set our Google alerts to. The case I'm going to talk about in this episode is one of those cases for me. Today, I'm going to tell you about the murders of two friends, Abigail Williams and Liberty German, also known as the Delphi murders. On February 13, 2017, 13-year-old Abby and 14-year-old Libby had a day off from school. They actually decided to have a sleepover the night before, and despite it being February, it was actually a pretty day in Delphi, Indiana. They decided that they were going to do something fun. They decided that they were going to go hiking along Monon High Bridge. Monon High Bridge is an abandoned railroad bridge that is located outside of Delphi. It straddles a body of water called Deer Creek. It is in a pretty area, and... It's surrounded by woods. It's heavily wooded. Delphi is a small town, and going to the hiking trail was one of the fun things to do. Right. It's like around here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. The bridge, while a cool place to take pictures, wasn't the safest. It stands 70 feet above the water. There is no railing. You wouldn't have caught me up there. No. No, me neither. I'm scared of heights. Maybe Maybe at their age. Possibly. Not now. Maybe at their age, but still probably me (laughs) (laughs) and the wood is rotting it's safe so safe yeah it was actually closed off to the public but the locals still went for like the lore of it it was a it was a pretty place to take pictures right also i was gonna say i mean they're teenage girls Mm -hmm. they're probably just gonna go like take pictures because we all used to have photo sessions with our friends yeah that are super cringy to look at now but we did it then yeah we did Libby asked her older sister if she wanted to go with them that morning to the high bridge. Kelsey had plans with her boyfriend before work, but did agree to take them and drop them off. Once they made it to the trail that led to the bridge, Kelsey made sure that they had their sweaters and that they knew that Libby and Kelsey's dad, Derek, would be there to get them at 3 Mm p.m. While on the bridge, Libby and Abby were posting pictures on Snapchat and seemed to be having a good time. Snapchat deletes pictures and messages after the person you send it to views it. Libby sent a picture of Abby on the bridge to some of their friends on Snapchat. In the picture, which those of you who are listening will be able to view on our Facebook and Instagram. So head over there if you want to see the picture I'm talking about. You can see Abby on the bridge, her hair pulled back with a pink shirt and a jacket. She looks like she is looking at her feet, probably being careful as to where she was stepping. Their friend Erica took a screenshot of the picture, not really thinking anything of it. Right, she probably just thinks, oh, my friend looks really cute. Yeah, she thought it was a happy picture of her friend, so she took a screenshot of it. 
And it's a good thing she did. Because that would end up being a crucial piece of evidence later on. Mm -hmm. 3 p.m. rolls around. And Libby's dad goes to pick them up. He looked for the girls for about 30 minutes before calling Libby's grandmother. A side note I should mention is that Libby and her sister Kelsey actually lived with their grandparents. Becky and Mike Patty. Okay. There is a odd or like weird family dynamic going on um, with their parents. They actually lived with their grandparents at the time. After Derek calls Becky to let her know that he can't find the girls, Becky immediately calls Kelsey. She was the last person to have seen them. Right. So, of course, that's the call she makes first. Kelsey, you know, said she hadn't heard from them, but offered to go down to the bridge to look. Now, we know that they had their phones. Mm-hmm. Did nobody call them, or is it just not... They did. They just okay. weren't picking up. Okay. They were not... Yeah. Um, he was trying to call them, and of course, Kelsey was calling them, and no one was answering. Yeah. Now, no one was super worried at this point. They were thinking that they lost track of time, that they lost their phone, or just got turned around something. Maybe phone died, something. Yeah. Really, Kelsey's main worry... At this point, was that her sister was going to be in big trouble when she got home. Okay. She she knows what. She's the older. She's the older sister. Yeah, she's done all this first. She knows. Yeah. What's going to happen if she, you know. Yeah. Once she comes home. Yeah. She yeah, knows. She yeah. knows. Now on the other side of the bridge, there are just woods. There's no trail. So basically, the hiking trail that they want ends at the bridge, mm-hmm. and then when you cross it. Usually, that's the end of the excitement, and you just kind of turn around and come back. Right. They thought that maybe they just kept going into the woods, and maybe that's how they got lost. Right. Kelsey goes to look for her sister and Abby, and also can't find her. And that's when the worry really starts to set in. The family look for the girls until about 5.30 that evening. Kelsey calls her mom, who was working and living near Lexington, Kentucky at the time. To tell her that they couldn't find the girls and to make sure that she hadn't heard or seen them. Mm-hmm. Once her mom confirmed that she hadn't heard from them, they called authorities to report them missing. It was starting to get dark and at this point, worry turns into panic fast. A big worry was if they were lost, they weren't dressed for the cold weather. Right. They had sweaters and jackets, but this is February and even though the weather's nice during the day, it's it's still probably it's going to get cold at night. The Delphi Volunteer Fire Department sent personnel out to help search for the girls at the bridge and, you know, in the surrounding woods. They also looked around places around town. They were knocking on doors and trying to find anything that would lead them to those girls. And in doing that, they got over 100 volunteers to join the search. And this is a small community. You know, I was going to say, isn't it, wasn't this a pretty small town? Yeah, it's a small so town. So that's probably a good majority mm-hmm. of the people. All these people come out. It was essentially the entire town almost. Right. <laughs> the search lasted until 1.30 a.m. on February 14th. They had covered a lot of ground to no avail. They didn't find one clue as to where the girls were or what happened. Just nothing. Nothing. It was in the wee hours of February 14th, Valentine's Day, Actually, not too long after the search was called off, Sheriff Lesenby was notified that a cell tower had picked up a signal from one of the girls' cell phones. The sheriff calls the chief of the Delphi Fire Department, the one that went searching earlier, Mm -hmm. 
to see if they could use their lighting to help them find the cell phone. Right. However, they did not find it. They knew it was probably still out there, but in the dark, even with the strong light, it yeah, was very difficult to find. They're in the woods. And there's tons of leaves there's, at this yeah, time of year. Lead, yeah, I mean, it's... It's, like, imagine, it's looking for like a needle in a haystack. Yeah. It's just, yeah. It'd be like us trying to go look for a cell phone in the woods somewhere here. There's leaves yeah. all over the place. It's dark. They're, it's not happening. Yeah. Once daylight hit, the search picked up again. They canvassed the area and was looking around the creek more heavily. A searcher used his cell phone to zoom in on an area near the creek. Kelsey heard someone call out and ask what kind of shoes the girls were wearing. Oh. Yeah. Kelsey asked what they were looking at, like what kind of shoe they were looking at. Right. They told her it was a black, it was black Nikes. And she confirmed that those were Libby's. Searchers discovered the bodies of the girls about a quarter of a mile from Highbridge. The area where the girls were found was secluded and was actually on private property. The property belonged to 77-year-old Rob Logan. I can get into him a little bit. He is a suspect right off the bat. It's, you right. know, obviously that's the that's going to be one of the suspects. Yeah, you know, it's on his fair, property. Pretty fair assumption. Um, at first, his alibi was pretty solid. During questioning, he stated that a friend had driven him to a tropical fish store that day between the time like between 2 2:30 p.m. right and did not return home until 5 p.m. Now later on his friend kind of backtracked on that and said that Rob Logan asked him to lie not looking great no it, it that raised some red flags they also got his cell phone data which did reveal more it turned out that he was near the trail the day of the murder and pretty close to the crime scene. Although he was never charged with or made an official suspect, many people think his behavior was kind of strange, suspicious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was also he had also been in trouble with the law some. Um, he also had multiple weapons in his home, including guns and knives. There were reports from like an ex girlfriend that he had that he had a history of being violent towards women. Right. He was actually prohibited from getting behind the wheel of a car, and he appears to have gone for a drive the day the girl of the girl's murders. So he was charged for that, right? Because he went for a drive um, and spent, and he sent he was sentenced to four years in prison in April of 2017 after pleading guilty to those driving violations. Right. He actually died in 2020. And, like I said, was never officially made a suspect, right. even though there are some red flags there. Right. He was more so on the spectrum of being a person of interest, I would say. Oh, yeah. He was on their radar, a, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Which, I mean, he could have he could have lied out of fear because he knew that, oh, he had these some... girls are found on my land and I've got a past. Mm-hmm. Or he's doing it to cover up and we'll just yeah never know. Yeah. We may one day, but. Maybe. Yeah. Once investigators arrived on scene, it was obvious that the girls had been murdered and that it was not an accident. Mm -hmm. Everyone was in absolute disbelief. The community of Delphi realized that a killer was either amongst them or someone had come into their community and done this. Mm -hmm. Libby was described by her mom as a very independent and busy girl. She was funny she was a free spirit. She was fearless. Hence the reason, you know, she was like, let's go to the hot bridge, you know? Right. She it didn't scare her at all. Right. Nothing scared this girl. 
She loved sports and she was incredibly smart. Abby's family said that Abby was a very curious girl and loved the outdoors. She loved to catch bugs and frogs and she had one of those bug boxes (laughs) where she would collect like salamanders. So the devastation for this family and community was palpable and they just seemed like two they seemed like besties. Yeah, I mean we had one that was fearless and and loved, you know, and she was fearless and just loved adventure. And then you had one who loved nature. And, and right. you know, so it was like. They just uh, make a perfect pair. Yeah. And it was a perfect thing for them to do. Oh, to yeah. go hike, You know, oh, yeah. to go hiking. The days after the girls were found, the investigators went straight into finding clues between the bridge and where the girls were found. Because mm-hmm. remember, the cell phone that pinged from a cell tower was still out there. They had not found that yet. However, the search for clues ended up being a challenge due to the sheer vastness of the area and the fact that a search party had been through there. Because, you know, there were like hundreds of people out looking for the girls. So they were walking right through. And they didn't know. No, obviously. They are walking right through a crime scene. A crime scene. Yeah. So you had things like tracks and cigarette butts. And, you know, people were urinating out there because they didn't. You know, but while they were searching for the girls, they didn't want to turn back to pee. Right. So they were like, I'm just going to pee on the street. And no, no one's thinking worst case scenario. No one wants to think worst, worst case, case scenario. scenario yeah. So they're just out there looking for these people, looking for these girls, not thinking right anything. So even though it was amazing that all those people were looking for them, it did hinder the investigation right. in that way. On February 15th, 2017, two days after the girls went missing and one day after they were found, Superintendent Doug Carter of the Indiana State Police announces a discovery at a press conference that, to say the least, was shocking. Katie, it blew people's minds. Police reveal a picture. It's obscure and it's grainy, mm-hmm. but it's of a man walking on the Monon High Bridge. This picture you'll also be able to see on our social media, but you can see that it's a middle-aged Caucasian man. You can kind of make out what he's wearing. He's got a blue jacket on with a sweatshirt, what looks to be a sweatshirt underneath. Right. Jeans with his hands in the pockets and a cap on. He appears to be looking down and you really can't make out his face very well. Right. You've seen the picture. Yeah. Yeah, this is a pretty infamous picture. Yeah. They do not reveal at first where the image came from. Some speculated it could have come from a trail cam. Yeah. Police ended up releasing another image of the man, not too long after that one, that seems to have been taken within moments of the first. Okay. They also released more information regarding the image. And this really gets me every time I think or talk about it. Yeah. But this image didn't come from a trail cam or anything like that. It came from Libby's phone. She had taken that right before her death. Mm-hmm. This little girl knew. Yeah. She knew something wasn't right and thought to do that. It blows my mind. And I just, it's... I can't imagine the feeling. Right. That I mean, she had. Just how amazing and smart. Oh, yeah. I think about how, like, she probably didn't have service or no. signal. But she knew she had to do something. And for her family, they were so proud of her for that. Of course. 
And they were proud of Abby for not leaving Libby. Right. Or for not for them not leaving each other. Right. I mean, they stayed together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They probably fought together. the very bitter mm-hmm. end together. Yes. She has the thought process to something bad's going to happen. I don't know what, but I need to help myself out in any way that I can. Mm-hmm. I've got my phone. Let me take some pictures. Yeah. After seven days, the Indiana police hold another press conference in Delphi. And they drop yet another bombshell. Libby didn't just take a picture of the man on the bridge. Libby took a video. And at that press conference, they released some of the audio. It wasn't a lot, and I'm about to play it for you now. It's just three words. But police had stressed that if anyone even thought that they recognized that voice, to call them. Here's the audio, and I'm going to play it a few times because, like I said, it's short. You know, when you're listening to that voice, it doesn't sound demanding. No, he's not authoritative sounding. No. He's not aggressive. It sounds like it's part of a conversation. Yeah. Almost. Which makes that all the more perplexing. Friends and family were trying desperately to figure out if they recognized that voice. And I can't even imagine. We all remember. I remember hearing this audio for the first time Mm -hmm. when this case happened. And if you were following this case and then you heard that, that was chilling. Yes. I mean, I remember listening to it and being like, do I recognize that voice? I know. You know, I don't even live in Indiana. And I'm like, hmm, does that sound like anybody I know? And that's what the police wanted people to do. It, It just, it was rough yeah hearing it because for the first time we hadn't really seen this before no and you know that these were kids yeah and i when this happened i wasn't much older than these girls when this happened right. I, I was you know three four years older than these girls mm-hmm. so i just put myself in the mindset of the feeling that they must have had these are some of the last words that they hear she catches this all on you know audio pictures she's got this just the I just feel horrible mm-hmm. thinking about the way that they must that have felt. That she had to do that. Yes. Yeah. And it's just really sad. Friends and family couldn't pinpoint the voice, but they thought for sure someone would. Right. With the audio and photo released, it seemed like the picture of what happened that day was somewhat coming together. Where the girls were thought to have been confronted, there was a hill that led to a shallow part of the creek. And across from that is where the girls' bodies were found. Mm -hmm. So him saying down the hill, that's probably what he was referring to. Right. Weeks passed and tips poured in, but it seemed like nothing was happening. Police were being pretty tight-lipped after the press conferences, and people were getting frustrated. I mean, there was a picture and audio of the killer, Mm -hmm. of the suspect that that they, you know, thought was the killer, taken by the victim. And that, like I said earlier, just doesn't really happen. No. A lot of people speculated that there was even more audio and evidence that investigators were not releasing. For instance, they wouldn't say how long the recording was. Mm -hmm. And they also wouldn't say what the cause of death of the girls were. They wouldn't say how much physical evidence they had obtained at the crime scene. But it is known that there were four crime scene technicians on scene and they were there for four full days police had their reasoning for not releasing too much at once and it's something we hear often right 
they have to do that a lot of times. So when they do have a suspect in custody, the information that suspect gives them, they can match up to what only the killer they would, would know. know. It's not public knowledge. Mm-hmm. Only they would know this. So they would know for sure if they had the guy. Right. Yeah. It does help with the integrity of the case, even though it is extremely frustrating for the family oh, yeah. and friends and, and the Just community the town, as a whole. Yeah, being a small yeah. town is, is... Because like I said, they know they have a killer on the loose. Probably just living amongst them. And that's a scary thought. It's very, it's very scary, this especially kind of, in a small town. It is terrifying. And it, it was children. So yeah. it just makes it worse. Yeah. In July of 2017, police do release a composite sketch of the man from the picture that Libby took. We finally had a face to put with the picture. It wasn't just a voice now. This, this sketch brought in even more tips. Everyone was pretty obsessed with finding this guy. That it got to the point that if you were a middle-aged man in Carroll County, which was the county that Delphi Mm -hmm. was in, you were on someone's suspect (laughs) list. Neighbors, friends, cousins, didn't matter. You were a suspect. Mm -hmm. They actually had to look into Sheriff Lesenby because on three separate occasions, he was called in on the anonymous tip line. Okay. Yeah. Hey, I'm glad they're doing their due diligence. Yeah, for sure. But with even all the tips and exposures, nothing really came from them. Months and then years went by. But on April 2019, another press conference was held at the Wabash and Erie Canal Conference and Interpretive Center in Delphi. And with it came another bombshell. Investigators said that the case was headed in a new direction. Okay. They made this press conference public and advertised it heavily. They wanted the public there. They invited the public there. Everyone who came to this had to sign in. They had to say where they lived and give the reasoning as to why they were there. Which I I love that they invited everyone. But then they want to know why you showed up. Yeah, like what is your interest in this case? Like why do you have an interest in Right. Which makes me kind of think maybe they thought that the perpetrator was going to come. Maybe they thought they were going to be there. Mm -hmm. You know? And doing so, like, asking people to put their names down and stuff was right. kind of unusual for a press conference. Yeah, that's, that's strange. Yeah. There was excitement in the room. People were hopeful that there had been a break in the case or maybe even an arrest. What police had, though, wasn't a huge break, really, mm-hmm. or an arrest. But they did give us more audio, and they also released an actual clip of the man on the bridge walking towards the girls. I'm going to play that audio now, the extended audio that they released. The video, it's pretty common. You can Google it. We'll try to post it on yeah, our we'll social media if we can. Um, but if not, it's a, it's a pretty easy Google search. And it's only, a, like, it, the video's only, like, a second long. Yeah. Because they don't release a lot. It's just enough for you to see his gait. Right. And his mannerisms. Yeah. Um, and see if you recognize it. Mm-hmm. So here's the audio now. The audio had just one word added to it, which was guys, before you hear him say down the hill. Police encouraged everyone to take a good look at the video and to really listen to the audio. Someone had to know who this person was. But that wasn't all. Police had more. 
police released an updated sketch of what they think the suspect looked like. Now, this sketch, the man looks much younger. Mm-hmm. The first sketch that they released was, you know, the man had a beard. He had that cap on. Yeah. He looked like a middle-aged man. Right. This sketch was of a man that was much younger. He doesn't have a beard or anything like that. The family and community were rightfully frustrated because all this time they were going off one sketch and literally looking for this guy in every face they see. Uh, yeah, particular yeah. type of man they're looking for. Yeah, like I said, every middle-aged man, that was a suspect. So this would be frustrating and confusing. Yeah. You'd be like, where did you get this from? Yeah, and it was frustrating because it wasn't, you know, what they were going off of for so long wasn't the most I accurate. That's not it. Yeah. Doug Carter made it clear that they believe the suspect lives or lived in Delphi, that he works there or had worked in the area previously, enough to where he would know the area. They believed him to be between 18 and 40, but might appear younger than his true age. Right. So I guess if 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 the suspect is 18, he could look 16, you know? Right. That's a big age it group is. for it looking is. for somebody. I mean, that's probably... 70% of the mm-hmm. men that live in that yeah. town, you know? Before the press conference ended, Doug Carter had a message for the killer, which I'm going to read now. He said, and I quote, to the killer, who may be in this room, we believe you are hiding in plain sight. We know this is about power to you, and you want to know what we know. And one day, you will. A question to you. What will those closest to you think of when they find out you brutally murdered two little girls, two children. Only a coward would do such a thing. We are confident that you have told someone what you have done, or at the very least, they know because of how different you are since the murders. To the murderer, I believe you have a little bit of conscience left, and I can assure you that how you left them in the woods is not what they are experiencing today. We will not stop. Unquote. Chill. When you watch the video, he's very serious. Yeah. The undertone is, I'm pissed. Yeah. I want you and I'm pissed. Yeah. And (laughs) after hearing that, I think it's pretty clear that they, why they invited the public. Right. They, like you said earlier, they wanted him there. They wanted to give him plenty of opportunity to get there. Mm -hmm. That's why they advertised it so heavily. And if not to get there, to at least watch it. Mm -hmm. Because they had a message for him. They want you to hear this. They were baiting him. You'll hear this a lot, that a lot of killers will insert themselves into investigations. They will come to search parties. They will go to the funerals and the press conferences, etc. Just to kind of relive it. Oh, yeah. It plays into their narcissism. They were trying to push those buttons. Mm -hmm. A lot of the community felt like they were back to square one with the new sketch. It felt defeating. Now they weren't just looking for middle-aged men. They were looking for young adults and even teenagers. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of paranoia. Some of Kelsey's friends, Kelsey, who is Libby's sister, Mm -hmm. some of her friends were even questioned. Despite the new sketch and new audio and video released, not much came from it either. Police were still holding back a lot of what they knew. Former prosecutor of the case, Robert Ives, told investigators on Down the Hill podcast, which I highly recommend everyone to listen to. That's where I got a lot of the information for this episode. 
you can find it on YouTube or Apple Podcasts, wherever. They do a mm-hmm. wonderful job with it's, this case. It's a really Please good listen one. to that podcast. He told them that, in his opinion, there were two or three signatures left by the killer at the crime. Now, signatures are what offenders do that are unique to them. You see mm-hmm. it a lot with serial killers. Now, what those were, they haven't said, obviously. Because okay. we don't know anything about this crime scene. Yeah. We don't know how they died. Mm-hmm. We don't know what evidence was left behind, really. We know nothing. Yeah. And I'm sure that just added to the fear, the fact that they knew there were signatures, that this could happen again. Mm-hmm. He could strike again. And also, this man did this in the daytime. He was outdoors where he didn't have a lot of control of the situation. Mm-hmm. He couldn't control who walked by. Mm-hmm. He couldn't control, you know, who's seen him on the trail. And he's got two yeah, he's got, yeah, they're teenage girls, but still, that's two against one. Yeah, and if, I mean, even with the two versus one, if he started attacking one, mm-hmm. and then the other one ran off to go get help, they could run into somebody within five minutes on the trail and yeah. be back to you within another five minutes, right. and you're caught. I mean, yeah. it, it it took, he had no fear doing yeah. this. He does not care at all. It was a high-risk crime for him. Mm-hmm. And he didn't care. No. A couple of years went by. And a lot of people thought that maybe the case was going cold, even though police assured them that it wasn't. They were still working tirelessly on it. They still had a lot to go off of. However, nothing happened. Not until 2022, when a man named Kagan Klein, 28 years old, was in custody for 30 counts of child pornography and exploitation charges. Mm -hmm. He became linked to the case after it was discovered that he was in contact with Libby. Okay. According to Murder Street Podcast, who had actually been in contact with Kagan a little bit, that stopped once he asked for money. You don't get for an money. Interview. No. You have child porn. They're journalists. Like, they're not going to give you money. Yeah, they're not going to give you money. No. And you don't get money. Exactly. But according to Murder Street Podcast, he had actually in fact been in contact with her the very day of the murder and had discussed meeting up so he's with her. definitely a person of interest. Oh, yeah. Klein communicated with a phony social media profile called Anthony underscore shots. As they do. Mm-hmm. To solicit sexually explicit photos from at least 15 underage girls. A true piece of shit. Oh, yeah. That was the username he used to communicate with Libby. Libby thought that she was texting and messaging with a much younger man because that's how he portrayed himself. He pretended to be a rich model, had stolen a picture from a you know, random person. He he speaks out, doesn't he? He came out at one point and spoke out. Well, he, he they just they went looking for him, like just to, and they obviously found that he had no connection. No connection to this. With He's this, just, his his picture was just stolen. For, yeah, he was also a victim. Yeah, of, like to identity theft. Yeah, I mean, essentially, yeah. With all of this, though, Kagan has still not been charged with anything related to the case, okay. at least not yet. Right. I think he's still waiting trial for his for his counts that mm-hmm. he's you know, the charges he has. Um, so yeah, we don't he's not been connect like officially charged with anything. Okay. But the day everyone had been waiting for was about to come. In October of twenty twenty two, Indiana State Police held another press conference where Superintendent Doug Carter announced that they had made an arrest. I remember this press conference. Mm-hmm. I remember sitting. I, I was on the edge of my seat. I stopped whatever I was doing. I got 
text message links immediately. For I mean, me, yeah. And then she calls. And <laughs> Kayla's like, did you get what I just sent you? And I was like, I'm at work. Give me just a second. <laughs> like, this is this is important. She was like, look now. Yeah, I was on the edge of my seat. It was major. Mm-hmm. Police announced that they had arrested 50-year-old Richard Allen from Delphi and was charged on two counts of murder. This man worked at the CVS in Delphi. So when Doug Carter said, we believe you're hiding in plain sight, he wasn't kidding. Mm-hmm. He was not kidding. He was right there. He worked in Delphi, lived in Delphi, just like they thought. During his first hearing, Judge Fran Gohl put an immediate gag order on the case. Right. Which meant anyone associated with the case could not speak about it. Can't say a word. Mm-mm. That includes both prosecution and defense. That includes Robert Allen himself, his family, which he was married with a child. He has a daughter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It also includes the victims' families. It includes the sus, you know, like I said, the suspects' families. They can't say anything, as well as law enforcement and court staff. No one can talk about it. Which I understand with this case because mm-hmm. this has been such a close to the chest case the entire time it's gone on. Yeah. So I, mm-hmm. I understand why they did that. And it's a close knit community. Yeah. So rumors gonna spread. Yeah. If anything gets out, she had also denied the request from defense to change the venue of where the hearing was held, where his trial would be held. Mm -hmm. They argued that he wouldn't get a fair trial if it was held in Carroll County. Mm -hmm. I get that. I get their thinking Uh, on that. Yeah, I understand that. But the judge was like, no, it's staying here. However, the judge did agree to let them pull a jury from a different county. So at least the jurors were not from Carroll County. Which is fair, because, you know, everybody has the right to a fair trial. So I I understand why, you know both things that's the way that she Mm -hmm. ruled on both those things i get that i get that according to what we know though investigators have said that robert allen is the bridge guy the probable cause affidavit that was released um some of it's been redacted but what we can infer from it it states that he was tied to the murders through a bullet found at the crime scene which that's the most information we've gotten so far about the crime scene yeah that's Wow. I remember that was uh, almost just as shocking as finding out someone was arrested. I know. Hey, he was connected through a bullet and everyone was kind of like, what? Mm -hmm. A bullet was there? Yeah. Ballistics confirmed that an unspent forty caliber round found close to the bodies of the victim came from his SIG model P226. The firearm was found during a search of his home. Also in the document... It reveals that in Libby's cell phone footage, one of the girls mentions the word gun. So there was more audio. There's more audio. Mm -hmm. So it seemed he used it to coerce the girls. Mm -hmm. In an interview with police, Robert Allen told investigators that he had no explanation as to how the bullet ended up near the bodies. He also stated that he had not been on the property and did not know the landowner. He was also tied to the killings after his vehicle was spotted parked close to the trail in what they described as an odd manner, Mm -hmm. as if to conceal his license plate. He had apparently been on police's radar since 2017, after he admitted to being on the trail that day. Some eyewitnesses stated seeing a muddy and bloody man leaving the trail about two hours after Libby and Abby were last seen alive. Even though this was a major break in the case... It was far from over because officials believed he may not have been the sole person involved. Mm-hmm. Which 
you know, takes us back to the landowner, Ka- the landowner Rob Logan right. and Kagan Fine. Mm-hmm. So it makes you think maybe they were involved somehow, some way. Right. At least Kagan. It makes you it makes you think. So his trial was originally set for March of 2023. Mm-hmm. From what I could pull from sources, though, some attorneys actually just did not believe that they would be ready by then. Right. And they were supposed to meet this past Friday, February 17th, to discuss possible dates. Nothing concrete has been announced that I'm aware of. Okay. That I've looked. So that's where the case stands today. He's in jail. We have a couple other suspicious people. Waiting on a trial date. Yeah, all of that. But I am hopeful that we'll get a resolution to this soon. Mm -hmm. These girls deserve justice. And the families deserve it. They deserve closure as and peace. I as mean, much as they can. You know, it's it's heartbreaking and I just I want it to be over for them. Right. I do. And for us to have somebody that we know mm-hmm. we have concrete evidence against that we know who did this and mm-hmm. they're off the streets. Off the streets away. They they can't do this ever again. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was the Delphi murders. It's a case that like as you know, I have... It's when I keep this myself This is one of Kayla's really... This is probably in her top three ongoing cases that she keeps up with. Yeah. But... This has always been a big one for her. I get I get a lot of text messages about this case. Yeah. If there, if there is any kind of update, I'm usually sending it to Katie. Yeah. So. Um, and we'll definitely keep... I, I know that Kayla will want to keep you guys updated as we hear things. If anything major breaks... Uh, we'll probably maybe do just like a little short five minute thing just to th- or throw it in at the beginning or the end of an episode, just if there's any major updates. And definitely after trial happens, we'll probably do a little mini episode, maybe just discussing mm-hmm. the trial and everything, because that's that's going to be a big thing. And I know that we're going to be watching it if it's mm-hmm. uh, showed on television. We'll definitely be watching that. Oh, yeah, for sure. So we'll we'll, we'll I know that she'll keep you guys updated. I will. Thank you guys for listening. Next week will be Katie's episode. We're going across the pond. We're going to Europe. Yeah. Right. It's a case I've never heard of. Um, and Katie has assured me that my mind will be officially blown. Several times. Okay. I'm very excited. Yeah. I'm very I'm very excited I'm for excited the reactions. To hear it. I'm excited for the commentary. <laughs> I'm like a child in a candy store, and I cannot wait. I cannot wait. Can't wait either. We'll see you next time, people. See Thank you next you. week. Thanks. Bye. All of the sources we used for this episode will be linked in our show notes. We'd like to thank Mikey Kinley for audio and editing, and our friend Avalyn Yulaberry for our cover art. Make sure to like and follow us on social media on Facebook and Instagram. Our Instagram is M3Podcast, and you can find us on Facebook under the name of our podcast, which is Murder, Mayhem, and Merlot. (laughs)